Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to go to uh, Psalm 23, as was just read. Um, you know, just a couple words of thanks to you. Thank you for having me again. Uh, I, you guys know that I have a lot of respect for your pastor, your leadership in this church, so it's always a, a joy and a privilege uh, for me to be here. Um, my family is not with me this morning, this time. Our gatherings right now are actually at 5 p.m., and so they're like, Dad, I think we're going to go to one church service today. And I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> so they aren't with me, but... Uh, yeah, thanks uh, for allowing me to be here. Um, I know you guys uh, support the Green Beret. Last time I was here, I don't know if it had happened yet, but uh, the Lord's brought some ministry connection with the Green Beret uh, to me as well. And so Adam had reached out to me um, about getting involved with some mentorship and discipleship down there, and we've been doing that. And so it's been a real joy. In fact, um, it's taken a little bit of a lapse now, but we're, we just spoke recently in the last couple of weeks about picking it up, but we were doing church services at the Green Beret Center uh, in Dover. We went through the Gospel of Mark. We, we purchased Gospels of Mark for all the kids, and they came anywhere between weeks of six up to 20 kids. Um, the kids might read Scripture, and I taught them through the Gospel of Mark, and it was an incredible time. The questions that they were asking back, it was, it was amazing. So uh, it's a joy to partner. Uh, maybe we didn't even know that uh, with you guys in that way. Uh, before we look at Psalm 23, uh, I come bearing gifts. My wife and I, as was mentioned, have three daughters. Uh, my oldest is just graduated high school. Um, I know I don't look that old, but that's what happened. <laughs> She's going to Wilmington University, uh, so she'll be uh, starting up there here very soon. And then we have a uh, daughter that's a junior, rising junior, and a rising sophomore. So, but when they were little, uh, we used to read this book called Sammy and His Shepherd. And so uh, my wife found out that I was preaching Psalm 23. I mean, how can you have a favorite Psalms series and not preach Psalm 23? Full disclosure, I did ask for Psalm 2 ahead of time, and they're like, nope, that's already taken. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Psalm 23... Um, so I was wondering, if you have kids here that are a child that is 10 years of age or younger, would you stand? Just stand. Come on. Get the blood flowing. If you have a kid that's 10 years or younger, now, let's see how many candidates I have. I have about six candidates. Okay. Does anyone have Sammy and his shepherd? If you do, sit down. Oh, man. All right. So that's the thing. This is a, this is a well-taught church here. I got three left, it looks like. Now, do any of your children have a birthday in August since it's August 1st? You do? I see a head nod. Boom. There's the winner right there. What's your guys' names? Tim and Marge. Yeah, all right. Can you clap for them? They just won a prize. <laughs> Thank you so much for bearing with me on that. Yes, sir. My wife says it's good to come bearing gifts. All right, well, Psalm 23, you know, um, I would imagine people that are inside the church and people that are outside the church in one way or another have heard this psalm. Um, it literally has spoken to and ministered powerfully to literally millions of people. Think about that for just a moment. Like, what we're going to take a few minutes and meditate here on this morning, literally millions of people over the course of thousands of years have found legitimate, you could even say life-saving comfort and strength from this psalm. And to me, it's like, it's like kind of like entering into, the, the Bible's kind of like entering into a museum. Not like a, a dead, boring museum, but a museum that is alive with all kinds of living things. And as you go from one exhibit to the next, there's one kind of glory and another kind of glory. And a wow, I can't believe that. Or like, whoa, I didn't know that. Or man, that's unbelievable. And when you come to the, the gemstone, if you want to say that Psalm 23 is, literally millions of people have been to that spot in the museum and have received strength, beauty, wisdom, encouragement from it. And so I just want us to look at it uh, again fresh this morning hopefully and I'm really looking to see two things happen I want for those of us that know Jesus as our shepherd 
to just receive comfort and strength on your journey. There's clearly in the psalm a journey that is happening. Green pastures to dark valleys to the very end, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, and I will dwell where? In the house of the Lord forever. So there's a shepherding journey going on here, and I'm very confident that all of you uh, who know the Lord are in one of those first two things and on your way to the third. You might be in green pastures or you are in a dark valley, but know that the good shepherd is with you and his goal is to take you to the house of the Lord forever. And I want you to genuinely, literally, experientially be comforted and strengthened by that fact. And I want to challenge you not to be looking to other shepherds along the way on the journey. And then my second purpose in the sermon, it's really clear, is that if you don't know the Lord as your shepherd, I want to invite you to come under his care. <laughs> I just mean this. This is just my personal testimony to you. What I have experienced and I think I could argue by the authority of the Word of God if you happen to take the Bible as authoritative. But if you're here and you're not sure that the Bible is authoritative, and you may not know me, but I'm, I'm a guy. You may, you don't know, but I've experienced the shepherding care of Jesus, and it is the greatest joy and comfort in my life. And so that's my testimony. Um, my wife and I recently just bought a car, and um, you know how the car who likes going to the car dealership <laughs> any car dealers here no okay <laughs> it can be you know so you know you're chit chatting trying to you know waiting for the numbers to get all that blah 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 but we got to talk and, and this particular young man was really genuine and and um, you know interested and he found out uh, that I had girls and he was about to have a baby girl and he just said do you do you have any advice and literally, the first thing that came to my mind was just the name of Jesus. And so I just told him, listen, I'm a Jesus guy. Jesus is the greatest person and reality in my life. And the best thing I can do as a dad is to, I didn't cry when I was talking to him, like, I'm talking to you, sorry. <laughs> was to point them to Jesus. Because Jesus is the best shepherd and so that's what I want us to do. I want us, if you know him, I want, that to, I want our hearts to be warmed and kindled to the shepherding care, the reality that Jesus would shepherd us. I want us to have awe about that. And if you don't know Jesus as your shepherd, today is a big invitation coming into the fold of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for Psalm 23. I thank you that in the museum, the living, active, powerful museum that is your word, that is filled with treasures, that this seems to be chief among them, one of chiefs among them. And so I pray that you'd minister to our hearts, you would draw us in, we would see the beauty, the glory, and the privilege that it is to be shepherded by King Jesus. So help us this morning, grant us faith in him for our good for the advance and the glory of your name in the church amen so here's how we're going to go about this we're going to first of all i want to spend probably 10 at least 12 minutes just doing a little bit of a survey of the psalms okay so what are the psalms how to read them uh, i hope that will be beneficial to you not only this morning but maybe it will produce some conversation um, i was asked to produce some questions i didn't do those things necessarily ahead of time but i might be able to send you a couple later uh, for you guys to talk in and about your church about what the psalms are how they function and how to read them not just for psalm 23 but you know the whole Psalter. The Psalter, if you're not familiar with that word, is just a different way for saying all the Psalms, all 150 of them. 
And so we're just going to give a little bit of a survey, a context of the book of Psalms, and then we're going to see that 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 method, we're going to apply that to Psalm 23 and spend the rest of our time there in Psalm 23. So does that kind of make sense? Survey and then specifics of Psalm 23. That's the direction we're going. So first of all, in the survey, the Psalms literally are a collection of poems. I mean, that's that's something in and of itself, 150 songs right there in front of you. Uh, you're reading basically an anthology, uh, and there's different kinds of psalms, of course. There's thanksgiving, praise. Those two things would be differentiated based on God's works uh, versus God's person, uh, thanksgiving and praise. Of course, there's lament uh, in there where there's, you know, kind of like godly complaining, okay? <laughs> you ever been confronted with that? Oh, you're complaining. No, I'm just saying the facts. Oh, yeah, right. But the Psalms give, give us opportunity to learn how to vent to God with a heart of faith and hope. Uh, there's petition, confession, all in there. Actually, when you read the Psalms, you find that they seem to, to address virtually every human experience and emotion. You can find the, the highest of joys. I mean, you go to Psalm 150, and it's like, praise the Lord, bang, 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 loud music, okay? And then, you know, you can go to Psalm 88. That's like, that's a, that's a dark one. That's, that's actually, the, I think, the one psalm in the Psalter where there seems to be really no obvious turn of hope. Um, my brother is a pastor uh, down in the Chesapeake, Virginia Beach area. Uh, his wife died five years ago, and he, he put out a meditation on Psalm 88 that was just profound um, about what it seems like to, to live when, when God doesn't seem to answer and everything seems dark. And the Psalms can do that. They can take you all the way down and all the way up, and they encompass every experience seemingly and emotion, which is why the people of God, as I've said, for thousands of years and millions of people have been able to go to the Psalms and they resonate and they connect. I mean, you really just have to read. I mean, even if you just, it's like I could just read Psalm 23 and then you could be edified. That's how powerful the, the poetry and the songs are. So it's an anthology of songs and poetry, Hebrew, of course, uh, that resonates across time, tradition, and culture. Now, that's kind of really general. Let's get a little bit more specific now. Um, in your Bible, you will see that there's actually five books. So there's structure to this anthology, okay? divinely given structure to the anthology, and I say this to my congregation a lot, structure shapes meaning. In fact, let's all say that together. One, two, three. Structure shapes meaning, okay? And so book one is Psalm 1 through 41. Book two is 42, Psalm 42 to 72. Book three is 73 to 89, Book four is 90 to 106, and book five is 107 to 150. You know, any guesses why there might be five books to the Psalter? You probably, you know, it's a well-taught church. Five books of the Pentateuch. The, the nation of is the editor of this. A lot of this, of course, written by David, some by Solomon. Actually, one, the oldest one we know, written by Moses, Psalm 90. We know that then Moses, you know, conservative scholarship would say Moses and the Exodus was about 1400 B.C., the last psalm that we have written is like after the Exodus, which is, you know, 586 or 500. So we're talking almost a thousand years collection of this anthology, right? And, and the, the editor of that has put these psalms together in this order for a reason. There seems to be, you could even say, a movement or a story in the psalms. Okay, so this is the next step. So you got this structure. Okay, what is the structure going to help us see? Well, when you look at the uh, scholars talk about the Psalms on the seams. Okay, so, you know, 41, 42, that's a seam. 72, 73, that's a seam. 89, 90, that's a seam. Those things seem, different S-E-E-M, <laughs> to teach us something. And what they teach us... Um, is that really the book of Psalms is this uh, 
royal collection. It's, it's, got, it's got to do with the king of Israel. So let's go to the beginning. Go to Psalm 2, actually. You guys looked at this last week. So this would be another one that would be considered on a seam in the beginning. Most scholars would consider Psalm 1 like a prologue. Psalm 1 and 2 like a prologue. And Psalm 2, as you guys heard last week, is all about the Lord and the Lord's anointed. So Psalm 2 in verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree, said the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and trembling, rejoice with trembling, excuse me, kiss the son lest he be angry. So when you look at the beginning of the Psalter, there's this announcement that the Lord, Yahweh, has placed his king in authority and that he's going to rule all the nations. And if you're, if you're a churchy person, you know, like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. But, like, think about that. God has a chosen king who is going to be part of the Davidic line and he is destined to rule the world. <laughs> Everybody. That's how the Psalms open up. But that king, it seems like there's going to be some trouble. There's going to be other kings and other leaders that um, challenge him and, and want to put him down and raise themselves up. And so that kind of sets the table then for the rest of the Psalter. That's not just a randomly placed Psalm, like you could put Psalm 2 somewhere else. No, that's an introduction. Psalm 1 is like, blessed is the man who considers these things. Think about them, ponder them. Make sure you know what's going on. My king is on my hill and he's gonna rule the world and it's gonna be good for you if you honor him and it's not gonna go well for you if you don't honor him. Again, I watched last week, the brother who preached talked about the story of the Bible is kind of in Psalm 2 and I agree. Now look at Psalm 3. There's a little heading on Psalm 3 and we don't have, again, I could spend way too much time here. I, wanna, I gotta keep this moving, but Psalm 3 all of a sudden has a heading. Psalm 1, Psalm 2, no heading. Psalm 3 has a heading, Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. So who's David? David's the Lord's anointed. Who's Absalom? <laughs> Unbelievably, David's son, who's trying to kill him and running him out of town. It is Psalm 2, boom, immediately right in your face. Here's the Lord's anointed, whom God has set up, and here's someone who's challenging the Lord's anointed. And if you know the story of Absalom, that doesn't go well for Absalom. And so the Lord's anointed is, you know, is God's chosen king, and he represents God's people, and all those who are aligned with him experience God's blessing. But it seems like the Lord's anointed is in trouble pretty regularly in books one, two, and three. Let me give you another image here, another metaphor. And I am not a musician, and this is a book all about music, and so, you know, I struggle here a little bit. But if you think of the Psalter, all these Psalms, as a symphony. Now, full disclosure, I couldn't name for you one symphony right now if my life depended on it, okay? But I kind of know what they are, all right? So this is a very elementary illustration. The only thing I can think of is like the, the Lord of the Rings score, you know, that, it's that same theme that just changed, like when it's really dark and scary, it's the same note, I don't even know, it's like, it sounds like the same notes to me, but it, the notes sound scary. <laughs> and then, when they're winning, it's the same notes, but the notes sound happy. I see some, I kind of get what I'm saying. Star Wars does this, lots of films, and so there's this theme that's woven through the whole Symphony, the whole score, and that's what Psalms is. And books one, two, and three are more of the somber, um, maybe you could even say minor key of the Psalms. And then something happens at Psalm 89 and 90, which again, that's why I told you that those hinges, those seams are important. Something happens there, and then when you read Psalm 90, 91, 92, if you were thinking musically, it starts to build. It almost changes a key. You get to Psalm 96, the Lord reigns. 97, the Lord reigns. You know, Psalm 145, he's the king of the whole earth. And like I said, by Psalm 50, the whole band is playing. He's king. This is great party. So what's happening is that the, the Lord's anointed 
is experiencing difficulty, distress, suffering, even to the point, now go to Psalm 89. So I know this is supposed to be about Psalm 23. We'll get there. Remember, survey first, then we'll get to specifics. So when, if you were to read books 1, 2, and 3, again, that's Psalm 1 through Psalm 89, not everyone, but you're going to see a lot of difficulty and struggle for the Lord's anointed. Already Psalm 3, like I told you. How about Psalm 22? That Jesus quotes on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 41, one of my closest friends lift up his heel against me. That's quoted in the New Testament. Who's that? Judas. Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? Again, one of those ones on the seams. Psalm 89 is just, you know, I, I told you 88 is dark. 89 here is brutal. Look at Psalm 89 in verse 28. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. Who's that? That's David and David's descendants. And my covenant with him will stand firm. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and don't walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and don't keep my commandments, I'll punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. This is quoting 2 Samuel 7 where God promised David that he would have an everlasting dynasty. But if there's rulers in that dynasty who sin and transgress, God will discipline them. But nevertheless, everlasting dynasty. And so he's recounting this, verse 33. But I will not remove him from my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun, like the moon, it shall be established forever as a faithful witness in the skies. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. This is, the, you know, this is such a turn from Psalm 2. Psalm 2, I've set my anointed on the hill. I'm going to honor him. And those who resist him, I'm going to be angry and judge them. But now by Psalm 89, Yahweh seems to be mad not at the opponents, but at the Lord's anointed himself. You've cast us off. So obviously this psalm was written in the exile. You can see that there. Um, uh, Ethan the Ezraite would be a post-exilic author of this psalm. <laughs> Listen to how he talks. You renounce the covenant with your servant. Lord, you said you were going to do this forever. And now you've done this. What is going on? You breached his walls. You laid his strongholds in ruin. All who pass by plunder him. You've exalted the hand of his foes. You've cut short the days of his youth. Verse 45, verse 46. How long, O oh Lord? You're going to hide yourself forever? How long is your wrath going to burn like fire? Verse 49. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? I mean, this is really helpful for us. I mean, do you ever feel like the Lord is like faithful to his promises to like everybody else, but not you? Which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of the nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever, amen. What? So, brothers and sisters, let's just make sure you know where you're at here. What I'm giving you is a way to read and understand the Psalms here, that what's actually going on here is this is a story in poetic form with various different kinds of, of genres of songs and poetry that is telling the story of how God has chosen his anointed to be the king of kings and lord of lords and to rule the earth, but that chosen and anointed king is going to be challenged and suffer even to the point where the dynasty itself is going to die. 
There's no more apparent king. And by the way, there's no more temple either at this point. And so if you are a Jew reading this, when these psalms were collected during the time of exile, the dynasty is in ashes, the temple is, was in ashes, and now it's been resurrected, so to speak. You guys remember? One of my favorite, it just makes me laugh, it's ironic. Like The, the people that were old enough to remember the first temple, when they saw the second temple, do you know what they did? You remember? They cried. <laughs> all the young people, all the millennials were like, cool, look at our cool building. <laughs> And all the older people were like, that is so lame. (laughs) So you're just struggling with God's promises, God's faithfulness. And now Psalm 90 is placed here for a reason. Who's the author of Psalm 90? Moses. Interesting. Before the kingship. He's a prototype king. And look what Psalm 90 says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. It's never been just about the human king. There was a divine king that stood behind the various rulers of God's people. And he talks about how the Lord is before the time and all these things. And, and then, again, as I already I mentioned a few minutes ago, Psalm 96, Psalm 97. I mean, you start hearing, you can actually go to Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. Okay, it looks like the, the Davidic dynasty is in ashes, and that's not going to work. But we know that the Lord still reigns, and so he's going to work something out. Uh, verse 94, he's the God of vengeance. He's going to come and judge. And Psalm 96, let's see where Psalm 96 says, uh, say among the nations, verse 10, the Lord reigns. For Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. And so you, you begin to build in Psalm, or book 4 and book 5. Go to Psalm 145, which is in book 5. Psalm 145. Verse 10, all your works will give thanks to you, O Lord. Your saints will bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. This is David. And tell of your power to make known the children of man, your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. And so the editor puts another Psalm of David here toward the end to remind people that although it seems like the Davidic dynasty is done and in ashes, God is going to come again and rule his people. Seemingly there's gonna be a divine king. So there was a Davidic king and that seemed to end in ashes, but there seems also to be a lingering promise and a divine king a Davidic king and a divine king and then it ends with glory and praise and so now just stop for a second do you know anyone who's a Davidic king and a divine king what's his name so what you need to so basically what the Psalms then become and this is from a theologian named Bruce Walke the the Psalms become then the voice of Israel's king to God the songs of the king and so now Jesus comes as the son of David and when you see Jesus use the Psalms how does he use them he uses them as his personal prayer and praise book which is why when he's on the cross he says my God my God why have you forsaken me why because that's what Davidic kings have been saying for thousands of years So, when you read the Psalms then, you have to learn to read them in different keys. And again, I'm not a music guy. This is from an author named David Schrock who who says you should read them in the key of D, which is the key of David, so to speak. Read them in their own context. Then you need to read them in the key of E, which is the context of exile, like the temple's gone and the dynasty seems to be in ashes and that's a context. So you read them in one context and then you raise the key, so to speak, and it reveals a fuller, deeper meaning. And then you raise the key again to the key of C, which is the key of Christ, and you put it in the context of Jesus. You put the psalm, so to speak, in Jesus' mouth. And then finally, 
As has already been prayed up here earlier, and I, I love the emphasis in this church on union with Christ, because now we are connected to Jesus. His story becomes our story. He's our representative, and so he bears our burdens. He takes our sin and our sorrows, and so now because Jesus has gone through the sin and the suffering in the Psalms, now we can identify with him as well, and we can find comfort and hope. And so you learn to to read and to sing the psalms in the different keys. So now go to Psalm 23. And let's read the psalm not just as we would read it, but let's hear the voice of Jesus in it. That make sense? <laughs> Jesus says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And you can hear then now and see Jesus in his earthly ministry coming away to be with the Father, spending time in prayer, retreating, Sabbathing, you could say. Which, by the way, I meant to affirm your, this, you guys as a congregation. Uh, Trinity Church allowed me to take a sabbatical and it was profoundly helpful to me. And Chris talked about, with me about that a couple years ago, and I, I think maybe that kind of piqued his interest, and it's so good of you to do this for him and his family. So anyway, Jesus coming aside, the Father leading him in green pastures and leading him, of course, in paths of righteousness, perfect righteousness. And now here's Jesus saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I looked up that phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, and uh, literally just death shadows in the Hebrew, and that word is used over and over. You know who uses that word the most in the Old Testament? Job in all of his suffering and sorrows. That's, by the way, right on the heels of Psalm 22, you know, where he's saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The dogs encompass me. I'm poured out like water. Don't be far off. And, and so Jesus knows that in those hours of the power of darkness, he still knows that his Father is shepherding him. Jesus has a shepherd. It's his father. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I think the New Testament picks up on this. And Judas at the table as an enemy, and yet the Lord has been shepherded and led to that moment. And then, of course, Jesus would say, Surely goodness as the brother pointed out, covenant love. The Father's covenant love will never be removed from the Son. And Jesus will dwell. Jesus is the house of the Lord forever and ever. And so, brothers and sisters, what, the way that we read this now, we see it through a Christological or a Christ-centered lens, which, by the way, Jesus tells us to do in Luke 24. He says that the things that were written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms testify to me. And so we read this with the voice of Jesus, and we then can say things like, well, because the Father shepherded Jesus through his death and through his resurrection, and now we've been united to him, now we can have Jesus as that kind of a shepherd for us in our sin and in our suffering. Of course, Jesus never sinned. He took on our sin on the cross, but he suffered in our place. And so this is the kind of shepherd that we have. We have the kind of shepherd who meets us in various places. He leads us to contentment in green pastures. He gives us comfort and hope in dark valleys. And ultimately, the story ends with us living and abiding in the presence of God. And so again, just, just listen to what Jesus is for you as your shepherd. The heading, I think, is just verse 1. He's my shepherd, I shall not want. Basically, it's saying, this is going to be a long journey. I'm, I'm going to take care of everything. Isn't that good? That's good news for you. So the rest of this now, now we can just, we did the hard work of trying to learn how to read the Psalms. I hope that was helpful for you. But now just glory now in this good word of Jesus as your shepherd. Basically, he says right off the bat, I'm going to take care of everything. It, you know, 
I don't know if you have a, you know, this is when, when uh, so we just moved our, our daughter uh, into some apartments not far from here in Bear. You wanna know how much thought I put into moving here into that room? Like that much. <laughs> because in our, in our family, my wife takes care of all the details. If my wife says I got it, the best thing for me to do is just get out of the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying she's a bully or anything like that. I'm just saying she is going to take care of it. And she did. You know, my job was just carry heavy boxes and screw the bed together. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying for you. On your journey, he's going to take care of it. You're not going to want. You're not going to lack. There's definitely times in the journey where he causes you, that's the Hebrew there, to lie down in green pastures and beside still waters. Isn't, isn't that so idyllic, idealistic? But there's definitely times in our lives, in our journey in knowing the Lord, where those things happen and we shouldn't, we shouldn't sit back and go, man, it was really wise of me to get me to this point. Think of a time in your life, maybe it's now, maybe it was recent, maybe you're longing for that to come, but where you've experienced that kind of rest, and then in that moment, you should say, thank you, Jesus, for being my shepherd to bring me to green pastures and to lead me beside still waters. And then listen to what he can do as a shepherd that, and again, I'll talk about the anti-shepherds in just a minute. He does something that, that really no other shepherd can do. He restores your soul. <laughs> the weariness and the difficulty, we're just about to encounter that in the psalm, and it's kind of anticipating it. The weariness and the busyness of life, trials and tribulations, the brother opened up this morning that we live in a fallen world, and that doesn't mean we need to be sad and discouraged. No. Because we have a shepherd that when you draw near to him, he can minister to you at the deepest level. The level, uh, the Hebrew word there is nefesh, which is the word for soul. That's the word that you breathe into him, the breath of life, and man became a living being, a living nefesh. The deepest, most influential, important part of you, you could say, our shepherd has the capability to reach in that deep and restore and bring life, peace, and joy. Jesus said in John 16 that I give peace not as the world gives. I give joy not as the world gives. And it's a peace and a joy that the world cannot take away. That's our shepherd. So he, he brings you to experiences of peace and rest. He restores your soul and he guides He's a shepherd who knows where he's going. You know, it's so wonderful. We don't know the twists and the turns, but he knows. He knows what's good. He knows what's best and wise. And he, as a shepherd, is committed. This is good news. I mean, he, you know, the, the fact that we would be called sheep is a little bit insulting. I'm sure if you've been in church before, you've heard that. Sheep aren't the smartest animals, right? We tend to wander get distracted. It's very comforting to know that our shepherd knows where he's going and he's committed to getting us there. Say amen. He leads us in paths of righteousness, not for our sake, but for his name's sake. So he leads us to a contentedness and a confidence in green pastures. Verse four, he leads us in comfort and hope in dark valleys. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And again, thousands of people, excuse me, thousands of years, millions of people have made this observation, and it's still glorious. Is that the shepherd knows the dark valley is coming, and he doesn't say, nope, let's go a different way. Your dark valley, man, your difficult time is not a detour in the shepherding plan of Jesus. 
There's hard stuff. You know, just to be transparent, you know, our, our church is currently going through a merger with another church in Dover. It's been about a year-long process, and there's some absolutely amazing parts of this. I'm very excited about what the Lord is doing. It's also been hard. And as I've been studying and preparing for this, my heart has been ministered to and blessed. And the Lord has reassured me that I am shepherding you in the hard places, especially in the hard places. You know, maybe there's relationship hardness, there's uh, sin and strongholds, hardness, and there's, uh, there could be financial. I mean, there's all these, you know, we can, you know, the dark valley can be representative of so many difficulties and challenges, basically in the two categories of sin and suffering and, and maybe even loss. There's, there's actual, you're actually experiencing the, the grief of a, of a loved one who's died. Like there's the, that, that metaphor, is, it includes all of that. And the typical response that we as humans would have to that darkness, that sin, and that suffering is to back away and to be afraid and, and not to want to go through it. And, and our shepherd with his rod and his staff are comforting us and saying, no, it's okay. I'm with you. This is going to be a season. This is going to be difficulty, but I'm with you. And by the way, you know, it's so much better when you have a guide who has been there before. Amen? You've been here before, Jesus? Yes, I've been in the dark valley. Jesus had his own valley of the shadow of death, as we know, when he was betrayed and then forsaken by his father. So interesting that he is the king from Psalm 22, would quote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But now in Psalm 23, because we hear his voice, he'll never forsake us in our valleys. So let me go back to the main purpose of this again. If you're a Christian and you know Jesus, all I want you to do today is to walk out of here going, I have the best shepherd in the whole world. I could not have a better leader in my life than Shepherd King Jesus. That's what I want. And if you don't know Jesus as your shepherd, I'm going, please, I would, I would persuade you with this. What other shepherd is so strong, so faithful, so true? And this gets our Christianity out of like the, the stoic kind of wooden Christianity. Like Jesus is alive. You pray to him. He hears your prayers. It's real. He's real. And he's really shepherding his people. And it's empowering and strengthening, comforting fears are assuaged it's going to be okay everyone say it's going to be okay because of jesus it's going to be okay because jesus is your shepherd so jesus can be your shepherd in the trials but also in the conflict look at verse five you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies He's preparing the table, so he's present. Jesus is walking with us and empowering us and equipping us and providing for us, not in the absence of conflict, but in the presence of conflict. Okay, so who's got some conflict in your life? <laughs> like, yeah, that's why this psalm is so good. That's why millions of people for thousands of years have looked at this and go, I'm in conflict, but Jesus helps me. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. They go into the museum of the Bible and they see the glory and the brilliance of Jesus as King Shepherd who himself has been there. They hear Jesus pray this prayer and you say, man, I feel like I can pray that prayer. And Jesus says, yeah, that's why I want to be your shepherd. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And so now here's the real turn. The conflict and the difficulty is now leading to overflowing blessing. Anointing your head with oil is, this, is a sign of abundance. It's a sign of recognition and honor. Surely goodness and mercy. There's the, as been mentioned, the covenant faithfulness that God is going to be faithful to his covenant promises to bless, forgive, heal, reconcile, restore, and redeem. 
his people and the whole earth all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and that is exactly where Jesus is now and that is exactly where he's leading us and so this puts it in the the context of of the whole so it's not just about the Lord shepherding me through a difficult season in a church although that's part of the journey but I need to see it more broadly he's shepherding through this situation to that final destination I never saw this connection before. Turn to Revelation chapter seven. And this connection with what, so here's what, brothers and sisters, this is good news for you. Jesus is shepherding you in your temporary circumstances and situations, ultimately to continue to trust him, contented in the pastures, comforted in the valleys, getting you, the, the, the real issue, brothers and sisters, is to make it to the end and to enjoy God's presence in a new heavens and a new earth. Here's a vision of that new heavens and new earth. Revelation 7, 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these? Clothed in white robes. And where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. The great tribulation refers to the time between when Jesus died and rose again and the time when he returns. That's the great tribulation. That's, so that's like right now. Everyone say right now. Your faith is being tested every day, either by pleasure, be distracted with the world, or pain, too much suffering. You're under tribulation every day between the two comings of Jesus. And apparently there's some who make it with white robes. Who are those? Those are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Those who have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Okay, so therefore they are before the throne of God. Oh, they're in God's presence. They serve him night and day in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Does that sound familiar? They shall hunger, thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be there, say it. And he will guide them to springs of, I mean, that's basically Psalm 23. Protect, provide, uh, not from the scorching heat. Be their shepherd, guide them to streams of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I mean, good night. The older I get, I'm 42 in case you're wondering the more the simple truths of the gospel just astound me. That's my future. And I'm sitting there, or I'm standing there singing, I'm just like, I don't feel worthy of it. Like, I haven't lived up to that. I'm not good enough to get that. And then we sang that song, um, uh, For Me to Live as Christ, and it says, I know my sins are forgiven. That was a word for me, because I was wrestling this morning that I'm not worthy of this gospel. I'm not worthy to preach. But because the Lord is my shepherd, this is where he's taking me. That's, you know, people say things are too good to be true. Like if you're a Christian, it doesn't get any better than that. You have comfort, you have peace, you have provision, you have guidance, and you have purpose. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And all is a gift through my shepherd who died in my place. <laughs> so that's, you know, I think, you know, one of the jobs of <clears throat> Christian leaders and preachers and teachers is just, I don't need to say anything new and profound to you. I think it's part of my job is just to, like, worship in front of you. <laughs> I'm so thankful that Jesus is my shepherd. And I would want everyone in this room to know that he's that kind of shepherd too. In contrast to that, I told you that we would look a little bit, and just briefly here as we close, there's no other better shepherd. 
I know many of you here will be familiar with a, 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 a counselor named David Paulison. Uh, the Lord took him home a couple years ago. He was the leader of CCEF, wonderful Christian counseling ministry. He's like a Christian Jedi to me. <laughs> Just such a wise and, and helpful, humble uh, Christian leader. But he wrote the anti-Psalm 23. Anyone familiar with the anti-Psalm 23? No? I am on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience continual sense of need. Nothing is quite right. And by the way, in this Samuel and the Shepherd book, brother, you'll see one of the other sheep doesn't have a shepherd. Maybe you should all go get Samuel and the Shepherd. But anyway, <laughs> I'm restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. Life seems to be like a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken and twisted and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some paths and then along others. Still, I insist that I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. We want to be our own shepherds. Pick our own shepherds. That, as 2 Timothy says, that, that will... Uh, appease our itching ears we hear what we want to hear because there's definitely a sense in psalm 23 where that rod and that staff from from our shepherd come and protect yes but correct also life is confusing and by the way these things are true of us we just happen to have a shepherd life is confusing but i have a shepherd <laughs> i feel overwhelmed but i have a shepherd i'm thirsty but i have a shepherd i'm haunted by emptiness and futility I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen no matter what. I find no lasting comfort. I feel alone facing the things that could hurt me. Are my friends really my friends? Other people might use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. And I'm so much about me. Something about that seems sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full, and I'm always feeling empty. Disappointment follows me in the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into the void? Sartre, philosopher, said, Hell is other people. I might have to add, Hell is myself. It's a living death, and then I die. When you live life without a shepherd or a faux shepherd, someone who claims that they can be a shepherd, but they can't actually do the things that Jesus can do for you, then that, that's the anti-Psalm 23. And so, brothers and sisters, friends, as I've said, for thousands of years and millions of people, the phrase that the Lord is my shepherd has been incredibly comforting. And if you know him, I would encourage you to just give you a few moments to just thank him, to revel in the fact that this is my shepherd and whether it's green pastures or dark valleys, he's gonna bring me home where I would thirst no more and wipe away all tears. And if you don't know Jesus as your shepherd, I could not persuade you enough to just say, Jesus, I wanna be in your fold. Whatever that means, however I need to get there, which is quite simple, just trust him. Come into the fold of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus is our shepherd. I pray that you would help us to see him as such, to believe and respond in Jesus' name. Amen.